don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. By age five, there is already approximately 5,400 images of a child in the UK, wow. which are already That's available online. We welcomed back Kat Callow. If you remember, Kat was our guest for episode 10 of Social Minds, and that episode still holds strong as one of our favourites, so obviously we just had to get her back. Now, Kat has worked globally in digital marketing and media for the likes of Unilever, HMD Global, and now Diageo, as well as having consulted for big tech firms like Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Snap Inc., so it's safe to say she knows what she's talking about. Yes, a controversial one on the podcast this week should you share pictures of your children on social media we all know that doing so has darker ramifications beyond just sharing pictures with family members and friends and now we're starting to see the first cases legal cases that is being brought against parents from children who are unhappy with their digital image being shared online because you're collecting data and facial recognition for your future commercial use you're already learning about your user before your users on your platform all this and more Coming up. Why should parents and platforms be more mindful of baby photos? I think that we've started to enter like an era in digital, like an antitrust era. I think that probably they were more scrutinized since like Cambridge Analytica. People have definitely become more aware of where does their data sit and what's been being done with it commercially. Mm. But then naturally, as social media has scaled, as like the generations have gone on, that now means that we have an entire generation of people that for the first time ever, they don't have consent over their digital image. So every generation before has been able to decide, do I want to be on this platform? Do I not? Am I signing up? And what images of myself am I going to put out there? Mm. Or if you didn't have consent of the images uploaded of you, you still have a... um, an option to detag, for yeah. example. Mm, mm. Whereas children of the millennial generation don't have that consent. Mm. And they're now recorded from pre-birth, from sonograph, all the way through to their social consensual age, which most platforms is 13. And I think that they're starting to find themselves quite shocked when they enter social now to see the extent of which their entire life has been mm. formulated without their consent yeah. by their parents. Um, and I think that's how it's become a topic. It's mm. documented daily now, isn't it? I remember yeah. when, when we were growing up, you'd have photos and you'd have to wait six weeks to get the film developed. Now it's yeah. like, you know, yeah. I've, I've probably got people, three photo albums now. It's like... Yeah, well, I see like people even do it straight from sonogram. It's literally like before they're even born. That's scary. Which it is that's weird. That's really, really scary. But... Uh, I guess what I'm curious to know is why should Facebook be worried about this? Like, it's, are there any legal implications? There are many. So, I mean, Facebook and Zuckerberg, for example, has like praised GDPR. Mm. But I think that praising some of the strict regulations from a government perspective is sort of a little bit of deflection from the platform's responsibility. That is them kind of positively reinforcing like, oh, yeah, those laws that work really hard to cover that are doing great, whereas actually outside of the European regulations, they could already as a platform be bringing out stricter controls to safeguard Mm. digital image of children. They are their future users when all is said and done. Um, And I think that um, they have 
facial recognition technology at Facebook that's that's working already. Um, and AI, it's their own in-house. They never disclose like who it is that's that's working with it and so on. But that is purely to take down like um, nudity, child images and these mm. and dangerous child images. That again, for some parents, when it's, for example, something innocent that they thought was just like the kids in the bath, they're surprised when it then gets blocked by Facebook under the privacy protection laws that they mm. have in place yeah. as a platform. But that should then be signposting to parents that ultimately, once you've uploaded it to the site, you no longer own that image in essence. It is then within the platform regulations and the platform servers then house that image mm. and its data in perpetuity. If you deleted it off your uh, off your post in Facebook, that does not remove it off the server. So that yeah. that is that that's an interesting point actually because I, I I expect a lot of people don't know that. So any photo once you post that photo on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever, mm. it becomes their photo. It's out yeah. in the ethos. It's a public forum, isn't it? What we've also like been looking into when I've been really interested in this area is so I've researched it like a fair amount. Um something that surprised me is let's say that you're in a region unlike Europe where you've got the GDPR. Um, so you're outside of a regulated country. And then let's say that the platform in that market, the user terms and so on also aren't up to scratch. Um, you've also got to think about there are some laws market by market, which have already started to enter this area and are starting to cover after a few cases that have come out. Um, but it's still completely unregulated to take any screenshot of an image. And this is how a lot of the dark web and the very sinister side of like child images online comes. So once it's mm. screenshot on a platform, but taken off into another web forum, there are no legal regulations around that whatsoever. Mm. Why, why is that? Just because they've not accounted for that in any precedent or anything. I think like it's too difficult to control. The image will be gone then, won't it? Like you, it won't be like saved via that date or by that person. Mm. It'll just be dated Because then the it's screenshot. a human individual action that's taken that rather than the platform or the website that's then taken it off your remit let's say as yeah. an online estate and into something darker mm. and then the dark web especially is just extremely difficult for even law enforcements to keep track of and know yeah. what's going on uh, down there or who people are they can completely be uh, anonymous so if you have anonymous criminals how are you ever supposed to catch them and trace them yeah other than campaigns like the sweetie campaign i think it was 2015 2016 one of quite a lot of Ken Lyons. Um, it was a, a child sex tourism campaign um, that caught a lot uh, of online pedophiles from the Philippines and so on. So you can get vigilante action like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with this case. They, they, they computer generated a child called Sweetie that looked, talked and act like a child and put the uh, augmented image in front of a camera and went in to these forums and the dark web and then handed over to Interpol all of the data that they caught. Wow. Um, so very powerful stuff. They had arrests all over the world from it, all kinds of commissions authority. I think Sweetie campaign, to be honest with you, 2016 started to uplift um, what online and social platforms should be doing about this. Mm. It was just a small agency um, and a charity uh, in the Netherlands that went out to try and do something about this. And I think it really raised that if, if a small 
you know, agency can come up with something like that and can proactively police the internet. Mm. Why can't the authorities or the platforms do something yeah, about this a issue? Yeah, a lot more resource. Mm -hmm. I know, like, just from personal experience, speaking to new parents, like my sister, when um, she had a child, was asking me, you know, oh, should I put pictures of him on the internet? Should I not? Like, the, like it's it's top of mind for them. Yeah. Um, definitely something to consider. But I still don't think that a lot of new parents or even existing parents don't understand all the implications so you mentioned like um, like dangerous images of child of children and and things like the dark web and pedophiles. But are there, I guess, less dramatic consequences mm. that are just being forgotten about or Overlooked. not being considered? Yeah, I think to be honest with you, like parenting, especially now, I must imagine must be like really daunting and overwhelming. And I think for the most part, we hope everybody is like educating themselves and doing their best. But I do feel like it's not parents' responsibility today to become digital experts and know all the ins and outs. Mm. Like The information is there, but I can imagine you're overloaded with a lot of messages, mm. especially if you're a new parent. And I think where this started to come on my radar especially is I get the same kind of inbox messages on my LinkedIn or my Facebook. I would say at this point weekly, people asking me like, what's my opinion on what they now call sharenting? Mm. Mm. Um, and should they be doing it? Should they not? And I think it's also awareness when you start to see images specifically of like colleagues, for example, probably around two years ago, I was working with a guy, I guess you should censor him. And so let's call him Tom. Um, but he always had like the back of his kids photo. And that's when I started becoming more aware of it as well. And I asked him, you know, have you made like an active choice to not put, he said, yeah, like me and my partner, we talked about it and we decided we won't put any images, uh, any facial images mm. of the children online until they're of a consensual age. And then yeah. while I was, um, I've got such a breadth of parents and friends, especially on my private media, like Facebook, I've got the ones that are definitely like guilty of a bit of baby spam. Mm. And then I've got the ones that are clearly, um, they're blocking out or they're putting emojis over the faces sure. and they're perhaps a bit really? more aware. So I did before this just to like do some due diligence and ask of the breadth of opinions, what are people thinking about this? And I was actually quite surprised that like, the vast majority were saying, absolutely, we've thought about this. It's top of mind. We're researching it. Mm. But they've all come to a decision as parents and groups and guardians. Like They've chosen, like you would with any parental decision, the way they're going to handle it and go about it. And yeah. that ranged from people messaging me saying, we've decided to have a, a private photo album for friends and family on Google Photos. But then, of course, that lacks that digital expertise that that sits on the same server and is not private because that's then shared with mm. Google yeah. and goes into all their algorithms and facial learning mm. and everything they're trying to learn about the new generation yeah. and behaviors of culture that they then make algorithms and marketing commercial uh, selling from. You're so right though. Like how are they, how are parents meant to know? I think it just reminds me of something um, when the whole time well spent movement came around mm. and Facebook started talking about, you know, um, usage and screen time. They did a lot to sort of tell people how to use the platform um, like safely and, you know, do it in a way that doesn't hurt your mental health. Um, but there was a lot more um, like talk and not very much action, so to speak. Uh, and what I mean by that is they were basically blaming the users and how you were using the platform rather than fixing the unethical design of the mm. platform itself. Mm. And it sounds to me like they're doing something similar here where 
you know, we can educate parents, but at the end of the day, they're not, like you say, digital experts. So mm. it's Facebook, really, should yeah. that, that should be doing more. Well, say, for example, like the chief of privacy at Facebook. So I've read there's been pretty recent articles and big headline media are starting to pick up on this issue. Like, again, because we're starting to have digital emancipation cases, so people are starting to get interested in it. But I think that it's twofold. You're assuming trust in the platform that a business and a commercial entity will act in an ethical way. Mm. And I would say throughout time, that is rarely the um, rule of thumb. You know, more often than not, there is like an antitrust, especially when corporations start to scale and the bigger they get, the more um, commercial greed is out there. And the more rather than running an ethical business, they are running it for profit. And essentially, if you were to look at the definition of business, most run for profit. So they'll go for that. And they would say that the accountability is with the individual. Mm. If you go back to like how contractual law was um, formed, it is always, you know, read your contract. If you sign your contract, same if you sign up to terms and conditions of a platform, Mm. that is on you as an individual to read it. But then how much education are we doing either from a government standpoint, either in public health, so for parents in NHS, for example, any kind of guidelines that are going out mm, from that perspective. Mm. And yeah, and how much are we doing within the education system then twofold for the new users of social media to, to know about this and safety online and knowing that they should be reading the terms and conditions. Mm. One of the biggest criticisms um, of Facebook at the moment is that it's more easier to accept the terms and conditions in terms of a user experience than it is to reject them or read more. Mm. Very often when you get those pop-ups, we've made a change to our terms and conditions. It's a very easy one-stop click yeah. um, to accept it. But if you did want to go and read more or you wanted to challenge that, then you're taken to a page and a page and another page and mm. then you have to email this and, you know, these kind of things. Yeah. And they're not daft. Like, they know full well that extra steps deter people. Possibly. Um, I'm such a sceptic. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> on this note as well, I want to I know... Um, I feel like when we have these discussions, we talk about a, you know, and not to be ageist, but we talk about uh, parents, I can, I suppose you can say mature parents who have come to social media kind of late after mm. the millennial generation. Do you see this kind of just being a blip amongst them or are you seeing more, uh, do you think the same thing will happen to millennial and Gen Z parents when they grow up? I think, to be honest with you, I do think the bulk of this problem, to be honest with you, is with like the millennial parents that are mm. coming out now. That is where the scale of the issue is starting to come up. That the social generation, you know, when coming up-ish to two decades of Facebook, or sort of, people are telling me, no, 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 it's not quite <laughs> ish. Um, <laughs> so I think that within those generations now, that that social generation, sort of since the 2004, are obviously having kids. Mm. Um, what I have read, in, in the flip side, that you could kind of criticise how well-educated millennial parents are and do they know all the issues of these and are they thinking about it? Do they realise the psychological impact that happens when your identity is crafted for you Mm. rather than a private childhood, which they were the the previous generations have always had? Mm. I think that the flip side of that is that sharenting, they say, as a twofold, that parents who would otherwise be isolated out of the workplace, at home, in a very new environment. Mm. They're posting and sharing because they need that validation online and because they themselves feel isolated. So potentially in that moment, they're not thinking about the rights of the image of the child and what this is going to mean Mm. in the future. Mm. They're thinking about, 
um, either sharing moments of celebration or sometimes like moments of panic. So they're asking like peer and collective intelligence. I've found this on my child. What should I do about this? Has anyone's kid ever had the chicken pox? Because and these kind of things I see a lot Mm. on social media. So it's more about validation for them. But that interests me as well, because I, I sense that, you know, when we talk about Facebook now, we talk about it being the sort of Gen X playground and even boomers and, and it's kind of, you know, uh, a lot of the time people say, oh, it's it's, it's mums of a certain age. And in my experience, it's, it's, it's more been Gen Xers and, and boomers. But yeah. I suppose that shows how kind of widespread this is for different communities. I think that what we'd miss there is that a lot of millennials will purely go onto their Facebook and sorry for anyone in the user growth department at Facebook, They'll keep the profile there and post the photos because the grandparents are on there. So the platform they choose to share them on is where the family are that they don't often actively see day to day. Mm. And they'll use that kind of like a digital photo album so that remote or in different locations can keep up to date. And then obviously the grandparents aren't on your Snapchats and so So it's less prevalent there. It's less prevalent. And not to, a quick one as well, not to belittle the topic in any way because it is a very serious thing Mm. but is there a sense at all that this is a a sort of a result of should we say in the US I don't think anybody would be offended by the kind of suing culture you know this idea of emancipation and Mm. and sort of the you know the concept that 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 you've got people now suing Facebook post Cambridge Analytica for mm. saying they've been misled. Mm. Is that would that be to belittle it a bit too much, or is there definitely a? Well, what's what's interesting is the first digital emancipation case came from Europe, not from the US. So I don't think it's an outproduct of the US suing culture. Um, so there was a case in Austria, eighteen year old girl um, that did digital emancipation from her parents successfully. Um, and that was 2016. So it has been like coming up mm. for some time. Well, you just outline that. What exactly does digital emancipation entail? So digital emancipation is basically when when the kids are coming of age. So when social coming of age would be 13 for mm. all platforms except WhatsApp, who is 16. But they are unaware. It's kind of like the modern version of the Truman Show. Imagine if you were completely unaware. So you've not been sat like like us three and we're kind of starting to witness sonograms and we see gender reveal mm. parties and we we can kind of see that our friends and peer group are starting to upload all this. But we're not the primary people whose image is being violated. Yeah. Imagine if you logged on for the first time. You've been you've heard about this thing called social media, but you've never been on it yet. It's finally your 13th birthday. You're really excited that today you get to join the social world, Mm. you log on and there is everything from potty training, first steps, falling Mm. over, embarrassing photos, and you had no idea about this. Now, Mm. if relations are good, you would hope that like a mature conversation and most of my research with primary direct parents and guardians about it said they would hope it would never come to like a legal case that if their child had problems at that point with images they'd posted, they'd be totally open to taking them down Mm. versus there are situations where this girl in Austria claimed she said she'd had many conversations with the parents about it and they kind of kept dusting it all off. And that's how it ended up escalating to illegal digital emancipation, Mm. um, which she was successful at. She felt like they had had no bars on 
the, the her human rights and privacy and degraded her image online, which to all intents and purposes, especially if you're name tagging those, they will still come up in your Google image search, mm. which for example means an employer can see that, colleagues can see that. There's a lot of interest from um, and research reports. There's one from the Child Commission in the UK. There's one from Bernardo's also about how this impacts cyberbullying. Mm. So when you get to school, for example, yeah. um, images of you as a child, if you're getting caught up uh, in that kind of stuff at school, then obviously bullies know no Be bounds. They yeah. can find yeah. any image they want. They can print that out and put it where they want. Mm. They it's can... interesting you, you mentioned 13 as well, because that's obviously the age where, I'm, I'm guessing that's the age restriction age now for, for most social media platforms, isn't it? Most have it at 13, at 13. other than WhatsApp, which is 16. Mm. Although I did, what, what's in, what I find interesting about that is I, I read online uh, earlier today doing some research that... Uh, children begin to get a sense of self from as early as five. Mm -hmm. So they begin to sort of, you know, realise a bit more who they are, what they like, you know, yeah. I'm into this, I'm into that. So it's almost like that's a whole seven years away from, yeah. like you said, that situation where, oh, suddenly, yep. yeah, this is the person I've been moulded to be online. Yep. It's, you know. Well, an identity argument as well. Like if you get to 13 and that doesn't match up with the idea that you exactly. have. Exactly. Well, basically, so in this area, in terms of uh, identity, this is where the biggest criticisms about protecting the child come from. So you're totally right. You start your self-identity and formation of that self and your view on the world from five. So say, for example, LSE, London School of Economics, they've got a report, big commissioned report they did on the future of the digital self. Um, and they found that by age five, there is already approximately 5,400 images on average of a child in the UK, wow. which are already That's available online. So that image has now been crafted on your behalf without your consent and would continue to be now for the most part on a private page, sharing photos with friends and family within reason, especially if you're blocking the face of the, of the child seems harmless enough, except Children by a psychological report will always follow the modeling of whoever's guarding them. So they'll follow the social behavior of the model that they've been set. So it depends if you are pushing to them a certain way of posing in photos or that you feel validated as the parent via likes, for example, mm. then you're reinforcing to them that likes in social media are an important part of your validation. Yeah. And that is how then the mental health issues have started to come up. Uh, Bernardo's, for example, have done reports on um, children feeling, you know, anxious, increased anxiety and depression over social imaging and how popular their photos are. And then again, you can see some action on this with Instagram starting to roll out, moving mm -hmm. out the likes mm -hmm. button to try and overcome this. Mm -hmm. But I do think that removing the likes is slightly arbitrary because you would still have the comments and therefore there will still be higher engaged post and lower engaged post. Yeah. And I'm it's not a bit of a quite, bandage under a, over it's a, a little bit of a bandage. Wound, I'm not sure it? it's yeah, quite, I mean, they're the rolling right. it out past the pilot of Canada. I know they're up to five market rollout now, I mm. think so and into much bigger markets like Brazil. So it's obviously been quite successful and it's coming our way um, as marketers. Yeah. Um, this, this, this realm we're getting into now, this is definitely sort of parent influencer and influencer mm. family territory, isn't it? what you just described, those uh, likes for validation and brand deals and stuff like that. Mm. Do you, these, I mean, I mean, where do you even begin to sort say, of attack that sort be, of area? I'm very curious to get your opinion on that because obviously like their mumfluencers exist mm -hmm. and we've spoken to a few and there are, 
people, the parents who have children from a really young age, that you know, it's not it's not them who are the influencers. It is, in fact, the children. And um, we spoke to one, and she likened it to um, her kids being modelled uh, models in like a Gap catalogue. Mm. And she says for her, it's no different because it's now just like an mm. online magazine. But again, I think what's creeping in is things that even we didn't know where. Like it's not a magazine; it's attached to the servers that store information. So, you're just curious to get your thoughts I on that, like that ethically. It's the permanence that's the difference. So, mm. previously, like child models, if your kid's in a TVC or um, if they're on billboards, for example, at some point that campaign ends. To get mm. hold of an X print, even if perhaps you wanted it as memorabilia, for example, it's quite difficult to do. You've got to email the original agency. You've got to ask mm. them if they still have copies of it. Where can you get this from? It's the same like if you find out like some long lost like generational family was part of something. You want to try and find their images. It's quite an endeavor to try and get hold of print. Yeah. Whereas online, there's a permanence um, and it's the data and the imprint of that is stored um, in perpetuity, basically, mm. on that server. But then also there's a lasting image online. Again, if it gets shared, if someone screenshots it, if they send it to a new website, it's then not even in control of that website. It could become like the whack-a-mole of trying to get an image taken down online mm. if it's been posted to many uh, different online channels. So yeah. I do think there's a difference. I mean, I do think that it's kind of like even political the political spectrum, for example, everyone will have a different opinion on this issue. The best thing parents can do or guardians is think about what is right for them and you try and go with what you think is the right thing to do at the time mm. and hope it's the best. But then I also think it's about open dialogue as the child comes of age, open conversations about what is social media, what are the peaks and troughs of it mm. um, and how they feel about it. Now, did see Gwyneth Paltrow came under a lot of criticism She's recently. She's always there with the controversial takes, isn't she? Uh, I guess so. Um, <laughs> I have nothing against Gwyneth. I've never really thought about her too much, to be honest. But we, um, there was a post skiing um, of Apple in a, in a face mask. But basically what happened was Apple put onto her personal page um, like a, a comment that she's tried to talk to the parents several times about not posting any images of her online without her consent. Now, Gwyneth came back and the reason she came under fire was she sort of brushed it off and said, you're wearing glasses, you can't even see your face, kind of, you know, calm down. Yeah. But Apple yeah. had obviously thought about this and doesn't want images of her going online. So then again, mm. where does it stop? So if you, if you have had an open conversation, your child's made it clear that they don't want images of them going online, yeah. should you still, before they come, of consensual age be able to share yeah, them. It sounds like she's said that a few times and sometimes you worry there's an air of mum and dad know best and like you touched on earlier uh, in that emancipation case, sometimes you can't assume that people's or children's relationships with their parents are good. So I guess maybe in that case an open dialogue isn't an option, a healthy conversation isn't an option. That's when there should be like a backstop of a uh, backstop. guidelines. I mean, you have the right to be forgotten Ever since like the Spanish case with Google, you can have your online self um, and your digital print and X search within certain guardrails and criteria. So not mm. a suppression of the media, but if it's no longer accurate or changed, you can make claims towards platforms to be forgotten. Mm. The sad thing is, is that and the reality is a lot of children that perhaps aren't happy about these or are suffering either that they feel their image was crafted for them through influencers 
or they're being cyberbullied because of previous images of them online, or they're mm. just not comfortable with it when they found out about it. Especially with celebrities, like that's a lot of attention anyway. It like is. a lot of celebrities keep their kids out of the press for for the same for the reason. same reasons. Mm. Um, but I think that a lot of the kids, for example, even if they were uncomfortable with this, they don't actually have the means to bring a legal claim against the yeah. parents. So that's why at the moment, for the most part, let's say like the, the floodgates of legislation on this are, are kind of limited because not many people can bring a digital emancipation case mm. um, unless you can find a lawyer that will act pro bono for you. Mm. And I think it depends what the impact of that has been on that on that child mm. um, as to what the punitive repercussions would be. But then at the same time, some states are further ahead at this. So France have got the any image of anybody without the explicit consent um, can have a fine of up to 45,000 euro per image. Wow, that's quite a lot. So France have got the most mature legislation on it. But then again, have people use that law? Do they have the means to bring no. the claims? But the safeguard, you can see that the, you know, the government is starting to put barriers in place to make sure this isn't happening. Mm. I'm, I'm glad you brought up images actually, Kat, as well, because I was going to say... How does this sort of uh, apply to video? And mm. obviously, uh, you know, is it the same rules? Because I know often, you know, we make these laws and they're very kind of ancient in a way because the, you know, whatever format hadn't been developed then, video on Instagram, for yeah. instance. Mm. I think same same rules apply from a, a legal standpoint. So I should also point out that I'm not qualified to give legal advice. <laughs> have, a, have a law degree, but don't have the professional practicing that makes certificate. makes more qualified so. than Theo and I put together. So. <laughs> Just point that out. Um, so do definitely check with a lawyer before you make any decisions. Um, but the, the video would be the same as digital image. In, 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 as far as the law is concerned, online image would classify as any different formats. Mm. I mean... Adoption agencies, for example, are far further ahead in making sure that education is given to adoptive parents in terms of the rights and safety of the child. Mm. But then, of course, many children have fallen into the adoption process because of dangerous circumstance, for mm. example. So, so they will be sometimes. more safeguarded. Of course. They're pretty good at like asking parents to jump through loopholes anyway, aren't they? It's I always think more like, they're definitely like jump working... Yeah. They're yeah. working to like make sure that that is the case. And I, I do think rightly so. I mean, again, I have to censor like the people, but I was very grateful. One of my friends is a, an adoptive mother of two twins and I was very grateful for their like thoughts and feedback on this. They they made very clear to me when I was doing like research on this that they, they were grateful they were given guidelines and they felt better about it. That had they, had they been a, a, a biological parent, for example, left without any guidelines, they probably wouldn't mm. have picked upon this issue. I mean, another question I asked like in my uh, research was, would people feel like they were in a nanny state if government were to issue guidelines to them on this? Um, and bar none, even the people who felt like this was, you know, PC nonsense mm. and woke mm. nonsense, even mm. they said that said, if the school or the government or the health service gave me guidelines, I'd actually be more relieved mm. as a parent and I'd, yeah. I'd welcome it. They don't have to figure it out themselves. Well, I'm really interested to know how this is being affected by transgender rights um, mm. because obviously there's an issue around the child and their identity and that's mm -hmm. becoming a lot more prevalent now. Has that movement, do you think, in any way accelerated this um, sort of awareness? Yeah, I think most of the trans communities online uh, and the NGOs and the, the rights groups working on those topics are 
very vocal about what you need to do if you want to delete your digital self or a previous self. There's many different options they're kind of taking. As a rule of thumb, most of the time they're already of a social age of consent mm. when they have made the transition. So then as an adult, they're deciding then to delete, but that's their personal profiles. Mm. Of course, they very often, especially if they're on bad terms with the biological yeah. parents, they can't get those images taken down. They would have to put... Uh, in Europe, a GDPR claim in for the right to forget with mm. the platform. But outside of Europe, they'd be unregulated in that sense. Those images would be able to remain of them and that digital self and print would still be there. And I do think that as society becomes more inclusive, um, which is a great thing, I think that they have to start thinking about this as platforms and mm. where they're going to sit yeah. Uh, on this issue. And to a certain extent, if you take the Austria case as an example, just from a legislative point of view um, and kind of the precedent that that has set, that would then say that parents don't have right to those images. That is your digital image and you own that image as well as the platform and you do have the right to deletion. Mm. But this as well, is, is, it's interesting that we uh, speak about a lot of domestic cases as well. And I think when most people think of these sorts of cases, they'll, they, they'll think of... Uh, you know, just their parents putting it uh, photos online mm. for friends and family's benefit. But uh, it's interesting that uh, Ryan, the famous toy unboxer influencer, who must only be seven, mm. eight, I think, uh, became a couple of years ago the highest paid YouTuber on the on the platform, I believe. Right. So, what? I mean, to to most other kids and to his school well. friends, that must look like the the kind of you know the most luckiest guy in the world, the, yeah. the luckiest job ever. And I wonder. You know, when a, when a financial element comes into it and you've, you, you've got now, you know, I suppose it's going back to child stars, you know, people becoming multi-millionaires mm -hmm. by the age of yeah. 10. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that sort of changes things. Yeah. Maybe it's just as damaging. I think it would mess you up. Yeah, you see what happens. To, look what happened to Amanda Bynes. I mean, I suppose that raises a different question. Should, you know, a child even be financially allowed to, through the means of social media, earn that much? Should there be a cap? Should we society not be promoting this kind of this content i know i know that like i see lots of like employer brand and like career preference stories all about gen z's you know number one preference being to be influencers and social media stars and like why not i mean you know we can't really cast like the first stone here like for all intents and purposes i also work in social media and therefore mm. like profit from it as a living um, but I think that um, you've always been able to earn money if you wanted to. So even like without social media, you still had um, children who start like, I think Warren Buffett, for example, started like selling penny colas or something he mm. was selling, um, you know, at like 10 years old. You were always able to be like the newspaper boy or something like that. Um and start earning money. And I don't think we should like um, as a society suppress entrepreneurial thinking. Mm. I think where the line has to come is starting to identify, is this like a show parent and this is coming from the parent or has this will come from the child? Yeah. So it basically all comes down to consent um, and the complete awareness and education of that child of what that means and the implications for the future. If you go back and we look at celebrities, for example, that had like certain breakdowns, very public ones that were mm. child stars. Mm. It is not that unimaginable that in the future we will have the same kind of identity crises, but for the online celebrity mm. generation. Yeah. And we mentioned platforms briefly earlier. I wonder if they have a, YouTube is obviously very close to its, uh, you know, creator communities. I wonder if they have any kind of legislative 
powers to to step in at all if they think that somebody, you know, who may be very popular on YouTube is perhaps being used in a in a sort of way or manipulated in a way to make this kind of content. Yeah. Or I think sadly, YouTube don't have a vested interest to act until a government or legislator tells them to because they'll be monetizing mm. that child and they need the users and they need like kids tube and things like that mm. to um keep them afloat and their users engaged. Mm. They're finding out now though, aren't they, with the recent FTC fine and exactly. So yeah. I do think like morals like, versus bottom line. Exactly. Is it is it gonna are you gonna opt for people over profit? I mean precedent with companies in the past would basically answer that as a no mm. and they're gonna opt for the profit. But I do think that regulators are getting more interested in this. And in the meantime I think parents and guardians should try and do everything they can to research the topic just so they make an informed decision, whatever decision they decide to make. There's almost an, an irony as well, though, that it feels like platforms like Facebook, for instance, are going more towards this way. So it feels like they've gone and taken a kind of commercial holiday. They filled the the, the, the news feed with ads and whatnot. Mm. And now we're going back to this kind of, you know, we want it to be the digital mm. living room, including the pictures of your children on the mantelpiece. Yeah. So to speak. I feel like we've not given the platforms enough of a hard time for this. I feel like, you know, where do they step in? Where do they, you know, do something? I, I think they have a, a moral uh, obligation as like the basically the newsroom of the world. I mean, if you think about the traditional sense of media and journalism, they are under high regulation of what they can and can't mm. say and how they have to investigate certain messages which are going out there. Social media, fake news, etc. we all know very much less hmm. regulated hmm. than traditional journalism. Um, and I do think, A, the legislators need to uh, pick up pace on this, and so do the politicians. Um, they're not really serving their citizens to the best of their ability or protecting the rights of the child as these kind of people are coming of age. But I think that the platforms should be doing more. They should be in working bodies, and they should be part of the solution proactively. They should be helping governments and legislators understand mm. what are they storing on their mm. servers mm. how much are they storing how do the terms and conditions work when are they updating the user agreements how do people agree to those we're saying that cat is this is, is this then the you know one of the single biggest arguments for them being treated like publishers facebook youtube you know these platforms I'd be interested in your my, thoughts my, on my that personal, well. My personal opinion is that they should be under the same regulation that journalists are and they should be under the same scrutiny that all online media is mm. held to, yeah. uh, regardless of, well, we're just curating, we're just allowing people the platform. Mm. I feel mm. like, no, you created the platform, therefore you are responsible for what goes out on it. You yeah. do need to do more in that area to regulate it. And personally, I do feel like, especially where child images are concerned. Yeah, I feel like they're too big now that we're too far past that point for them to be able to like drop all responsibility that way. I wonder, do you think there's a part of them that is less keen to sort of publicly take proactive action against these kind of issues because they don't want to draw attention to the fact that they're happening that much or at all? I think there's a little bit of deflection. So I think that they would... They go very quiet in all the media and any investigative journalism that has been done on this so far. Um, they can very often not reach anybody at the platforms for any form of comment uh, on these topics. And yeah. that's probably because they haven't figured out the answers yet. Yeah. Yeah. They're working on it, but they don't have a cut and dry platform stance on what they're going to do about these issues. That's interesting. We were speaking to um, a journalist the other day and uh, sort of asking, you know, uh, how they're 
how their sources work from big tech firms like Facebook and Google. And he said that, yeah, they're all sort of closing ranks and it's becoming very hard to get comment mm. out of official workers themselves. And now it all just comes from whistleblowers. I think it will be whistleblowers basically that give us like the information mm. um, in terms of what's going on there because it is going to be insiders that are going to bring this to the forefront purely because the research that I've done, even the parents who were very much on, let's say, the stricter side of we decided not to have any images like mm. on any social platform. So instead we have a group with our friends and family and we're using WhatsApp. So they've obviously not realised that WhatsApp is owned by Facebook is owned by yeah, Instagram and is on yeah. the same servers. Yeah. This is the one that gets everybody as well because right now we've got encryption and I wouldn't want to mm, yeah, you know, predict WhatsApp? that we ex exactly I wouldn't I wouldn't even want to predict that we one day we may not have encryption yeah. in a yeah. way. It's, uh, what what happens if they get hacked? For exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's even easier than so that. So even with encryption then there's still ways online that people can get access to that um, where it would still be sat and it would still be stored. And this and and cat obviously it'd be a you know, we couldn't get you on the podcast without asking you about the future with, <laughs> with respect to this. This seems like what I'd call a sort of potentially unintentional consequence of social media. Are we entering a period where we might see more of these now things that, and what I mean by that is things that we didn't think mm. about 15 years yeah. ago because no yeah. parents were yeah. on Facebook. Or we're focusing on fake news and actually all now. this other stuff is happening. Exactly. I, I do think that for all intents and purposes, like most entrepreneurs have, you know, a good heart when they set out with a purpose and a vision, you know, things like Facebook wanting to make a more connected world. I mean, you think, well, that sounds lovely. Um, what could go wrong there? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you watch the social oh, network, he actually <laughs> just wanted to see pictures of girls at his uni. I, you know, yeah. I if, do if the think, film is based on fact. <laughs> yeah, I think like unintended consequences always come with scale. Um, so could you ever sit down when you were starting an endeavour like that and think of all the possible ramifications that are going to happen in the future or how big social media was going to become? Mm. Nobody uh, could have ever like predicted that. I do think that What's the most interesting is the generational change in theory around you did always have a private childhood. Mm. So someone in my research said, um, I'm, so, I'm censoring everybody because I promised them I would. Um, someone said they don't see any difference to posting images online to maybe having a kid's photo up in the pub and the local pub, for example. Mm. Uh, but obviously it is different because that is a private uh, and printed offline world um, where uh, only a limited audience of people yeah. will see that image mm. versus the social media image and the access people could have to that. Yeah. Or even if you have a private page, for example, any hacking of the server is going to get access um, to those images as well. Mm. So I think that it has become a kind of bigger beast than what anyone could have seen. But at the same time, we are in a place where it might have been an unintended consequence, but we now know that this consequence is coming and it's starting to scale. So the question now is, okay, you didn't intend an entire generation not to have consent of their digital image, mm. but now it's happening and they're all coming of age and they're starting to make digital emancipation claims. Mm. So seeing as how it's your platform that has created this issue, what is your policy on it? And oh, I think right. that's the question and the next challenge we need to start asking mm. platforms. And, and to draw, uh, you know, what is a very serious, uh, you know, conversation to a close, 
could you see a blanket ban in the future on child images appearing on Facebook, YouTube, or any of the other social mm. media networks? They've banned nipples. I was going to say Instagram's done it with like stuff like that. So right. Yeah. So you'll ban nipples, but you won't <laughs> free the nip. They, they'll, they'll ban yeah. nipples, but they won't ban child images with mm. all the dark internet and all the invasive like procedures that are going on there. It, that are happening while a child we know psychologically is developing their self-identity. So you're allowing someone else to craft their digital image for mm. them. That's fine because you're collecting data and facial recognition for your future commercial use. Yeah. You're already learning about your user before your user's on your platform. Yeah. I mean, it's the first time really that's ever happened. Marketers haven't previously, you know, other than offline getting mums in a focus group, for example, and asking them what they think and their online behavior. Now machines can just tell you without having any of that proactive consent, just start learning about the future generation and children. I mean, mm. probably the most data housed of the next generation is already with the social platforms they know exactly and can start predictive modeling mm. of how these people are going to behave and use online media because they've been tracking it since they were yeah. born I guess um, that raises like ethical questions as well about how us as brands and marketers want to use that data as well well there's also I was to think reading about. online uh the marketing craft so child brands for example so gap kits and things like this mm. in terms of the validation that mums feel and where are we going to sit with parents and guardians using this as uh, a, a coping mechanism for the isolation they feel. So the reasons, mm. the other reasons other than sharing and keeping up to date with family that might be completely altruistic, that they're trying to help out with their own mental health. Mm. You can also look at marketers and brands still have a responsibility. So we've talked about legislators, we've talked about healthcare systems, but the marketers themselves also have a responsibility that goes beyond the legal don't advertise to a child under 12, for example, mm. They do go out there and they say, you know, there'll be UGC campaigns of we'd love to see your kids in their, um, yeah. in their clothes, please hashtag, um, you know, H&M kids, for mm. example. So they're proactively stimulating the content to come out from parents, also probably absentmindedly not thinking about the consequences yeah. of that and yeah. where that lands them in there the future. There we say the biggest uh, responsibility. So it seems live one of the biggest beneficiaries yeah. of, of, yeah. of all of I this. I feel like it's shared. I think it's just an education piece for all of us, really, isn't it? And I think that we've still not really answered in society, like, who has the most influence over pop culture nowadays and the way people behave online and offline? Is it platforms? Is it governments? Or is it still the citizens? Do people still have the power? And is this something that parents themselves and guardians need to educate themselves on mm. at what point is someone else responsible for your actions when at the end of the day net net it is you that posted it online mm. I completely agree it is a massive question and one which we should definitely continue on yeah. our new facebook group i'd be really so, interested yeah. to get people's thoughts exactly, on that if you're yeah. in the group uh, then please raise your questions and if you're not already in the group we're going to leave a link in the description join, so you can yeah join. exactly and we'll carry on this as conversation always. and hopefully you will be there Kat as well to I engage with us feel free to send more questions I definitely opened the Pandora's box with this one like on my own personal profiles they're still raging with all kinds of like opinions on this topic but then I do think people are very hungry for a regulation and some form of guidance on mm. 
what should they be doing? Definitely. Facebook, 100%. if you're listening. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening, yeah, please get involved. Yeah, <laughs> and come on the podcast. Kat, thank you very much. It's so good to see you again. Good to see and you thanks, as well. Uh, thanks, felt Kat. like coming home. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young and produced by Ollie Thompson.